Okay. So uh, joining me on stage this morning is um, uh, James Avery. James is one of our elders, and um, I'm really glad to have him up here with me. Any more? Any more? We got any more? You got one? Okay. And, um, and uh, James also teaches, let's see, you used to be sixth grade. You're fourth grade now? Fourth grade. Teaches fourth grade in Fairfield? Vacaville. All right. And, um, and so he's, he's an amazing guy. Get to know James if you don't know him. Um, it's an honor to have him on our elder board. He is uh, um, just, a, just a good guy to have around in leadership. And then also joining us this morning is Jessie Bessagini. She's our uh, church office manager and uh, also amazing. She, she's grown up in this church and, um, in fact, at one point served as our uh, youth ministry leader. Um, and it's just amazing as well. And I wanted to invite, um, in fact, Jesse, you know, I, I want to also point out that with Jesse, she's so much more like, like we very intentionally call her office manager because she's so much more than just a secretary. She literally runs this church. And I mean, she, she, everything that happens, uh, her fingers are touching it in some way. And, and she's, she's just heavily involved in, in making sure that things go smoothly. And she's also really serves it kind of as, you know, my wife did also before when she was doing the job before Jesse. You know, that role really serves as kind of the uh, kind of almost like triage nurse of pastoral care. She's the front lines of of, of you know when people come to us for a lot of needs and and a, a really uh, awesome partner in the ministry to have her along with us. So, all right. I like that. Do you? I haven't even read it. Oh. <laughs> Oh man, you guys are not. You guys are beating us up this morning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Oh, okay. Oh boy. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> All right. Out of the gate. You ready? <laughs> what? Okay. Here we go. What is the church's take on the legalization of marijuana? Uh, here, um, one of you, here, Jesse, you take this one. And James, you can pull that one in closer to you. Um, and that'll be good. All right, so, uh, yeah, in case you just woke up. Um, so, yeah, half the country now, um, marijuana is legal in some capacity whether for medicinal, medicinal or recreational purposes. Um, I think I may be wrong about this. Um, I think we're, we're, we're all pretty much in agreement that at some point it will most likely be legal across the board nationwide. That seems to be the direction where we're headed. Um, but, you know, who knows? With the current administration, who, know, who knows, you know, when, when or if that will happen. So, um, but what, how does the church feel about that? I, I, I got to tell you that it's, it is something, honestly, that the elder board has wrestled with quite a bit. Uh, in fact, we, we, we did a retreat uh, last fall, and, and it was one of the accidental topics that came up, and, and, and we ended up spending probably more time on that topic than any, any other topic. Um, and I know if we were to survey across the room today, there would be a lot of difference of opinion in the room. And so um, I have to, I, I'll tell you that... Well, I don't know if I, you want me. You want to start? Or you want me to start? I'd love for you to start. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you know, here's the deal. Somebody's going to walk out mad, no matter what I say. So, um, 
So here's the deal. Um, let, let's, let's talk about marijuana as a substance uh, to begin with. And, and I'm sure there would be dis- differences of opinion on this uh, as to, as far as, as in terms of how harmful a substance it is. Um, compared to other, uh, you know, I think, it's, I think it's a class A narcotic. Is that what it's considered, right? Something like that, yeah. So compared to other drugs of that category, I, th- I think the general consensus is is that it's not nearly as harmful as other class a narcotics um and um i i know that i've heard um that in terms of strength the strength of marijuana nowadays is much stronger than it used to be say when you hippies were smoking it and um and so it's just just you know because of the way they've uh, you know cultivated and everything the, the strength is, is can be much stronger I know that for some, for medicinal purposes, it can be very useful. Um, for those who are, are legitimately using it for medicinal, medicinal purposes, that you know that there, there is a proven benefit there. Um, and there's a lot of debate on, you know, do you need the strands that give you the high to get the medicinal benefit, and, you know, that sort of thing. I guess it depends on what you're dealing with. Our take as, a, as an elder board right now after long, long times of, of discussion is that we feel like it is still um, unwise to use uh, and that since it is still illegal federally, that our, our uh, recommendation would be abstinence. Um, and not just only because it's illegal federally, but also because there's, you know, there's still a lot of question about can you use and not be impaired. And the closest biblical comparison to that would be the admonitions in the Bible about drunkenness. Um, and so while the Bible does say and, and at times celebrate alcohol and say it's okay to drink, uh, it also gives strong, strong warnings against drunkenness because of how it can really tear your life down. Um, and so... Um, the question then with marijuana is, is it possible to use and not be impaired? Um, I, and I don't know, I, I would assume that maybe depends on the strength of what you're smoking and everything else. But, but our recommendation as an elder board currently is abstinence because it's still illegal federally. Um, and then we will continue to wrestle with that as leadership as those laws continue to change. Um, that's, I'm going to stop there. What do you want to add? Either one of you. Just to be clear, we're talking recreational use of marijuana. Right, right. That's true. Thank you. All I was going to point out was, like, as Jeff said, the medicinal uses that maybe you have heard, maybe you have seen some of the studies coming out about additional medicinal uses for uh, pediatric you know, epilepsy cases and different. So I think that it's important for us as a church to take those things into account, but also agreeing with what Jeff said, just as we would never encourage any of you to be drunk or to abuse any kind of prescription, painkillers, anything like that. It's, it's a matter of, are you in control? Is the Holy spirit within you or are you being controlled by something else? Yeah. And that's a really good point because you know, I, my approach to whatever vice you throw out, whether, you know, I smoke cigars occasionally, I, I have a beer occasionally, whatever, um, you know, whatever vices, you know, things that are traditionally referred to as vices, uh, whatever that may be. My personal position is I will not be controlled by anything. And if I ever feel like something is beginning to control me, then, then I'm shutting it off. I will not be controlled by anything. Now, 
that's easy for me to say because for whatever reason, God blessed me with a you know, physiological makeup that I just don't have an addictive type personality. And I know for some of you, that's very, you're, you're very different in that. You're very cautious about even taking painkillers when the doctor prescribes them because of you know, you know maybe your addictive nature or whatever. And so I would just ask you to walk with the Holy Spirit in that and, and uh, you know, make sure that you're doing what is wise. Um, but yeah, the current recommendation from the elder board is, is abstinence based on the fact that it is federally still illegal. And, um, and we feel like just there's a lot of wisdom issues there that come into play as well. And to clarify the, the idea that we follow the, the, the law of the land, the Bible tells us we have to follow the land of the right. law unless right. it goes against God's word. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Thank you guys for that. All right. Um, okay, kind of this question goes kind of hand in hand with the last one. It says, I struggle uh, with addiction and feel guilt for not being able to kick it. How does Jesus look at repeat offenders of someone who knows better? Anybody want to take that first? I'll take it, even though I can't take this mic out. <laughs> uh, he loves you. Yeah. He loves repeat offenders. <laughs> don't feel guilty. Try to change. Yeah. Guilt, guilt. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of guilt. Yeah. And I feel like when you're guilty, it's like um, not honoring Jesus' sacrifice for you. He did. He suffered so that you didn't have to feel that way. He he suffered so that you could have his spirit and change. If you're if you're doing something that's not right, change it. Mm. If you can't change it, keep trying to change it. Mm. That's good. Thank you for that. I was just gonna kind of echo what James said, and that time after time, sin after sin, it, Jesus loves us. Died on the cross. He paid it all once for all and again and again and again and again. And if you're already feeling guilty, <laughs> don't feel guilty for not being able to. I know I feel even guiltier because I can't give it up to God. Um, every single person in this room has issues. And the people in this room that don't think they have issues are the ones that have the most issues. So because you, kudos for being keenly aware of your own shortcomings for calling them out, naming them, and attacking them head on, knowing what they are, God is faithful. Don't And you, if you can't do it on your own power, some of us can, continue to lay it at God's feet. Continue to surround yourself with people who are going to bring you up and who are going to pray for you. And again, God is faithful. Yeah, that's good. That's very good. One more thing. Go ahead. Um, sometimes uh, I think that... It's tempting when you see people that suffer with things that you don't suffer to uh, just think, how come they can't, and, you know, what's going on here? But the thing is, we don't all come from the, some, the same place. You know, God has blessed me with a family that raised me pretty good. And so it's easier sometimes for people that have a good upbringing to just do things the way they're supposed to do them. But for other people that are raised in environments that are pretty tough, you know, their walk is a little bit different than maybe your walk. So try not to judge somebody who's stumbles. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, exactly that. I I feel like, um, you know, I struggle with certain temptations that you guys don't have any temptation around. 
you guys struggle with certain temptations that I don't have any. And so it's really easy to judge what everybody else struggles with, right? And, and, uh, and we, realize, we need to realize that we're all made differently. We're all built differently. And one of, one of the things I love about God's word is that it is full of amazing men and women of God who had incredible flaws, incredible flaws. And, and, and when you, I mean, just our series that we just did on David, when you look at his life and go, holy cow, he committed sins that I haven't even dreamed of committing yet. And yet he was considered a man after God's own heart. And so I think we need to change what our view of sin is. You know, I think maybe because of the way we've been raised up or maybe accidentally the way we've either things have been taught or the way we're hearing teaching. Um, I think we have this view of sin that it's just simply God's got this list of rules. And when you break a rule, you sin. And sin is actually, I think that's a too simplified version of what sin is. Sin is that God has basically given us, we talked about this recently, he's given us this vocation of being his image bearers to the world, that we're to reflect him to the world and, and reflect praise back to him. I mean, we're, it's that we're to bear his image to a world that desperately wants to see God. And, and so sin, what it ultimately boils down to is you, it's a failure in that vocation. It's a failure to be what God has called you to be. And when we sin, whether it's through, uh, you know, breaking one of the commandments or, you know, struggling through an addiction or whatever that case is, it, you are not reflecting that image of God as clearly as God has called us to reflect it. And so it really then, but here, but here's the beautiful thing is that God has chosen broken, hurting, uh, imperfect people to reflect his image. And so, like you've heard me say this before, that I don't sit and dwell a lot about in, in terms of guilt and shame around my sins. And I do, I do sin, trust me, I do. But I don't sit and dwell a lot around that because, and here's my favorite verse, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. None, no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So the real question you have to ask yourself is not, what does God think about me when I can't keep kick this addiction? The real question you need to ask is, am I in Jesus? Am I walking in Jesus? Am I walking in the spirit? And if the answer to that is yes, then as James said, you know, do your best to change and become more like the image of God and, and, and reflect that image well. Um, but don't sit and beat yourself up, you know, just dwelling in guilt. So that's good. All right. Why is it that in Christian churches, we talk a lot about God and Jesus, but not so much about the Holy Spirit? Um, so I, uh, yeah, well, we just sang a whole song about him. What do you want? So I just talked about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, um, yeah, okay. What do, why do you guys think that is? Well, for me personally, I think that the Holy Spirit is, um, it's a lot more of a personal experience, frankly, that what it means to have the Holy Spirit inside of you or your, my experience with the Holy Spirit, that means something different for different people. And it means something different depending on maybe where you are in your walk or your personality. Um, it's difficult to describe, I think. And so... It's hard for us to put a, like Jesus came to earth, his ministry, he died, he rose again. It's a little more concrete and there's a timeline on it. But the Holy Spirit is something, is an, 
a way that God expresses himself throughout time and throughout history and to different people and to not to other people. And it's just tricky. So that's probably why we don't talk about it so much. Mysterious. Yeah. 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 I don't know why people don't talk about it, but uh, I love talking about it. I'm just going to change the question. (laughs) I love talking about it because this is where we derive our power. You know, we, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we don't have that power. Sin the the only times you hear the Bible talking about breaking sin, that we have the power to break sin, is when they talk about the Holy Spirit. When that Holy Spirit is in you and you're close to God, you have that power. So for us not to talk about it, if that's true, that's a shame. Mm-hmm. That's a source of any chance we have of change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is, I think... A lot of it depends on your background. If you came from more of a kind of high church background, um, you know, I'm, maybe the emphasis is not so much on the Holy Spirit. Whereas if you came from more of a Pentecostal background, I mean, it, you know, they just it, they're they're bleeding the Holy Spirit all the time. You know, I mean, it's just just it's just awesome. And so, and then and then if you if you came for from you know a church more similar to this, maybe a Baptist style type, you know, of somewhere in between uh, background. Then, uh, then we, I, I, a lot of times churches tend to, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. It's like, you know, we don't want to, oh, and, and it's reactionary. Everything we do in church is reactionary, right? It's, it's like, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to go too far this direction. We don't want to go too far that direction. So where do we find that happy medium? And, and, um, and, and so like, I always say that, you know, in the churches I grew up, I grew up in Baptist churches and churches I grew up in. If, you know, if you raised a holy hand, you better had a holy question. And so, yeah, you know, it just wasn't a lot of, dim, you know, I, which I love worshiping with you all. I love the way that you, you feel that freedom. Oh, thank you. Feel that freedom to kind of worship however you feel God leading you to worship. Uh, but just so you know, I'll, I'll say this, that uh, I'll echo everything, uh, you know, James and, and Jesse said. And I'll add this. We are actually, I'm, I'm going to be doing a sermon series this summer about the Holy, a whole series about the Holy Spirit. It's going to be called Ghost Stories. And, um, and so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk for several weeks about the Holy Spirit and what it looks like to walk in the Spirit and what it looks like, you know, who the Holy Spirit is. And I think that's another distinction, too. May, if I could teach you one thing this morning, that the Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as it. It's always He. He's a person. He's a person. He's a person just like God the Father, just like God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so He's not the force. We're not, this is not Star Wars, right? And so, so he, he is a person. He's not just a, simply a power. Uh, but he's God dwelling in us, dwelling in the lives of the believers. And that means something. And, and we should, uh, you know, definitely talk about it more and we will. Um, but so I'll save some of those, you know, answers for, for the summer when we do that series. But just to say, you should not, and I hope you feel this by worshiping here, you should not feel a need to shy away from the Holy Spirit. Um, that, that makes no sense. You're, that's shying away from God, right? Why would you do that? And so, um, yeah, feel free to talk up the Holy Spirit all you want. All right. Uh, when you die, <clears throat> when you die, do you go straight to heaven or hell or sleep until the second coming and the judgment? <clears throat> Depends on what church you go to. Yeah. Living hopers go straight to heaven. So we're it. <laughs> it's a joke. All right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, that's a theological question that there's a lot of difference of opinion on. And as times change, 
you know, the way we read scripture sometimes changes along with the times. And, and, uh, um, and so, you know, it's, it's a, it can be a tricky, it feels simple to me, but for a lot of people, it can be pretty tricky. Um, do you guys want me to go or do you want to say something first? All right. All right. So the way I read scripture is that, and we've, and I've, I've said it a dozen different ways here, um, that when, um, with the fall of man, when sin entered the world, that God's kingdom was split in two, the kingdom of earth, kingdom of heaven, right? When Jesus talks so much about the kingdom, it's that idea that we pray about every single week of uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, of, of reuniting God's kingdom with the kingdom of this world. And that's, that's what the resurrection is all about. That's what the, Jesus' purpose uh, of coming was all about, was to uh, un unsplinter these kingdoms and bring them back together. And so currently, though, they are, they're not so much like this. They're more like this. And there's this crossover uh, between the two kingdoms where the kingdoms touch. And, and the, what the Bible tells us is that where they touch is inside of you. It's inside of you with, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life that we actually kind of walk in both kingdoms. We walk, walk in both kingdoms, right? Uh, but but there is still a division there that's that's in the process of, of being healed. So currently, uh, if if the from what I read in scripture, it was when we die, we go to the presence of God. We go to His side of this split kingdom, right? Um, but one day when Christ returns and the final judgment happens and everything else, all, those kingdoms will be reunited. And 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 it's not so much about us going to heaven. It's about heaven coming here, uh, when, you know, that heaven comes to earth is, is, is the way the book of Revelation puts it. And so let's say if you're still alive when the second coming happens, then, again, it's not going to be so much about you going to heaven. It's going to be about you getting to experience the reunification of God's kingdom because all things will be made new. Uh, so I don't know if that muddied the waters more or, or cleared anything up, but that's the way I read it. If you want to read it differently, feel free. And um, we'll meet you there, okay? So, all right. Um, all right, here's, here's another big one. Gays and lesbians, do they automatically go to hell? Uh, had a cousin at such a young age, always had uh, characteristics as a girl, uh, grew up in church, at, but who grew up in church and loves God and Jesus. All right, go, James. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to. I want to answer this one. That, that, that okay. <clears throat> sin is sin. Yeah. You're sinning. Your salvation is not dependent on whether you sin or not. Thank God. Okay, your salvation is dependent on your relationship with Christ. Do you love Jesus? Do you believe He's your Savior? Do you believe He died on the cross? These are the questions you should be asking yourself. You shouldn't be asking yourself about automatic straight to hell or heaven questions. It's more of a relationship with God, with Jesus. And uh, that's all I have to say on that. All right. Amen. Can I add something? Please. I think it's also really important for us, just as a part of the kingdom of God, to not think of people in terms of categories. People are people, individuals, each as an image bearer of God. 
So someone being gay, lesbian, what, whatever, that doesn't make them less of a human, that doesn't automatically put them in a heaven or hell category. And as James said, sin is sin, but sin does not determine our salvation. If, if it did, that'd be really scary. Um, I think I'm gonna All right. Um, I totally disagree with these two. No, I'm seasoned. <laughs> Uh, now, here, here's the deal. Yeah, I, I think that's the important thing to remember, that there will be, like, to, like we don't pick pet sins and pick on them, at, at least not in this church we don't, okay? Like, sin is sin. And, and, and so, now, the, where, the, where the tricky question is, is, I mean, it's, it, it feels very loving to go, you know, all sin is equal in God's eyes or whatever, but... But then, but really, the question most people want to know is, do you think homosexuality is a sin? And um, and, and again, that's a that's an issue where um, you know, there's actually a podcast online last year about this time we did an elephant in the room series, and on a Sunday night we kind of tackled that pretty in depth. You can find that and listen to it. So I won't go into it a lot, but. Um, uh, according to, again, the way I read Scripture, I, I believe the Bible does call that out as sin. Now, that said, um, sin is sin. And I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner, and hopefully we'll see each other in heaven. And I'm sure we'll be surrounded by our brothers and sisters who struggle with same-sex attraction and uh, are, are oriented towards same-sex attraction. And here's the thing about, uh, you know... It, from a church, and I know, you know, if, if I was on CNN right now, I'd get blown up. But um, from a church standpoint, we're kind of family all in this room. Um, what we have to realize is that just because we call something a sin does not mean that we don't love or accept or embrace the person who is struggling in that sin. Um, there are things that I struggle with, temptations that I struggle with that... Um, um, you know, that should disqualify me from heaven, that should disqualify me from maybe serving in leadership of a church or whatever else. However, um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And, like, let me ask you this. For those of you who, uh, who, who really, I mean, and I know there are some of you in the room that, that it's just human nature, there's some of you because, you know, of whatever you believe or whatever you've been taught, the way you've been raised or whatever, you really want for uh, churches, pastors, church leaders, whatever, to take a more, a stronger position on this and really call it out firmly as sin and, and that sort of thing. And the question I want to ask you is this. If you, let's say somebody who struggles with same-sex attraction uh, comes to faith in Jesus, a saving, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and that same-sex attraction doesn't just magically go away, all right? If you knew that person who is now your brother or sister in Christ, if you knew that they were struggling in that and maybe even failing in that temptation as often as you fail in the temptations you deal with, would you let them into heaven? My, and my point in asking that is just is just this idea of um, to call that out as some sort of uh, you know level ten 
sinful lifestyle and make it bigger than what even the Bible makes it because the Bible says way more about your fat gut than it says about homosexuals, by the way, and mine. The Bible only actually has a few verses around that topic, just a handful. And we, yet we elevate it to such a degree that it's almost impossible for those that, that live with that um, to come to a saving faith. They feel rejected from the outset. They feel hopeless from the outset. Now, also, I'll add to that that, uh, you know, if you're in the room and you struggle with that attraction... Um, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is in the business of giving us, of, of transforming us in ways that we are powerless to transform ourselves. That the Holy Spirit is in the business of, of changing us in ways. Like, there are temptations I used to struggle with that I no longer struggle with today. And, and, and I'll speak to those who maybe are, are, are in that uh, um, lifestyle or it, or maybe more sympathetic to that lifestyle or whatever, and just say that when you say things like, well, it's how they're made and they can't change, you know, it's just, it's, it, it's hopeless if you call it a sin or whatever else, you, you belittle the power of the Holy Spirit, one, and you, um, and you elevate sex to an unhealthy place in our lives, as if Somehow sex or sexual orientation is the highest thing about us. And it's simply not. It's just simply not. And so uh, we reach out and we invite in with love. And it's not our business to change people. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And so would we baptize somebody who, uh, you know, is oriented towards a gay or lesbian lifestyle? Absolutely we would. And then we would... Uh, walk with them and pray for them and just simply allow God, the Holy Spirit, to do in their lives what only God can do and what we're powerless to do. And, um, and so we'll embrace, embrace, and love and love as much as we possibly can. Um, so I, I, let, let me add one little thing to this because um, in the question it said, um, had a cousin that even at such a young age always had characteristics as a girl. I think, and, and I know some of you will disagree with me on this, I think this is the bigger issue in our society right now. Uh, the, the gender confusion and things and the, that, that's going on right now, it's epidemic, and it is, um, it is something that needs some thoughtful, careful teaching because um, the way, society, way our society is leaning is just accept and encourage, accept and encourage, accept and encourage, no matter how, you know, what, what in terms of gender confusion and things like that. Uh, I would say, rather than accept and encourage, uh, love, walk with, pray with, um, model, uh, you know, healthy um, masculinity, health, healthy femininity. Model that, and that's not to say to model healthy masculinity means go take them hunting and take them to a ball game. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, you know, because I I've got tons of friends that uh, you know uh, guy friends that could care less about what the typical you know guy cares about or is interested in what the typical guy is interested in. That's not what makes a man. 
uh, the measure of a man is the Savior that lives in him. And, and so, and, and the same uh, for a woman. And so, and, and this, is, this is one of those issues. We're in this kind of frenzied, it's in the news all the time, and it's celebrated all the time, and, you know, whatever. Um, I really believe a decade from now, two decades from now, we're going to be looking back on this time going, that, that was kind of crazy, wasn't it? Because this is what you need to know. Scientists think this is crazy. Because there is such a thing scientifically as gender. And, and, and even scientists are looking at it going, all right, I guess you can choose, but scientifically you are what you are, right? And so, and so it's, there's a, that's, that's saying a whole lot more than maybe I wanted to say, but it's, there's a lot going on there, and it should not necessarily, just because society's swinging, the pendulum's swinging so far this direction, doesn't mean you need to jump on that and swing with it. Uh, rather, um, just allow people to be who they are. It, 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 I don't know, I'll, I'll just say it. It drives me crazy to see parents who are parenting uh, three-year-olds and four-year-olds against their gender. Um, that, in my opinion, and you can fire me for this, it is child abuse. It is child abuse. That, and, I'm, and, and rather, just let them be. Just let them be who they are. If they're interested in things that boys or girls aren't typically interested in, if they want to pick certain clothes that boys and girls don't normally pick, whatever, just let them be who they are and allow their, allow their maturity, allow their development, allow the stages of life that they're going to to possibly just catch up and self-adjust all by itself as so often in life honestly happens. And then... If they become adults and, and, and are just hardcore, like, I, I definitely want to, fine, let them make that adult decision. But what in the world are we thinking parenting three, four, five-year-olds to, against their gender? I, it makes no sense to me. But um, that's just me. And I hope you don't feel, feel that's too close-minded. I just, I, I'm looking at it going, it's like, to me, it's, it's, like, it's like watching a train just go off a broken bridge. And it's like, uh, I guess we're just going to stand here and watch all this. Um, I, I feel like. What, we, what is needed, and again, what's not needed is what I'm doing. What's not needed is rants. You don't need to rant, okay? What, what is needed is, is friendship and partnership to help people, um, you know, think through those decisions in, in, in ways that are honoring to God and healthy for them. Um, I mean, who, who here had everything figured out about who you were? you know, before, I mean, who, who here does now? I mean, really, I mean, and so, you know, just whatever. That's a, Could I add on yeah, to that? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So this is, I know this is kind of tangent off the question, but that's okay. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know all of the struggles of parents yeah. who have children who think that they are the wrong gender. I will tell you, I've just been having conversation with my family, my, my sister, my mom this week, because there's, you know, articles about this four-year-old that their parents are letting them is born a boy, but really her name is Sarah. Child psychologists, again, back to science. Child psychologists will tell us that children don't even know the difference between a lie and the truth, make-believe and reality until they're like five or six, which I don't necessarily buy because I have a four-year-old and he's a really good liar. But, <laughs> but we can't have it both ways. If a child doesn't know the difference between reality and make-believe at that age, then how in the world are you going to let them make a life-altering decision at that age? That is irresponsible. 
It's completely irresponsible. And I would also say this. I thanked my mother. Because when I was a child, I distinctly remember going, oh, I wish I was a boy. I so wish I was a boy. And believe it or not, I hated wearing dresses. I loved sports. Still love sports. I'm not always super feminine in any way, shape, or form. But it's terrifying to me to think that if my parents had, you know, if I was a child now, and my parents did not come from the religious background they came from or the faith tradition they came from, that they would have been like, that's okay, just be a boy. It's all right. Instead, my parents let me be who I was, which was extremely tomboyish. I had it. <laughs> I still have issues. But they never talked to me about, you need to be more feminine because that's what a woman looks like. I am a woman, mm-hmm. and they let me be who I was. Yep. And I never had to question whether I was a woman or not. I was allowed to be a woman and love sports. I was allowed to be a woman and lead whatever I did. I was allowed to be a woman, and they talked to me about virtues like humility and modesty, but never femininity, that you're not a woman because you do this or do that. You're not a woman because of this, that I am a female, and whoever God wants me to be is who I'm going to be. All right. That's good. That's good. That's good. There was a follow-up question. Are yeah. we taking follow-up questions? Go ahead. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah. 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 So the question was, if you could hear a, a gay uh, couple that um, enjoys their lifestyle, uh, has no desire to change, but also is being drawn in to the faith and, and, and has a desire to follow Jesus, you know, how do we counsel or, or, or speak to that couple? Um, uh, let me just throw this out there, and this applies to everything that we've been talking to. Uh, I will not pretend to understand what it's like to feel so absolutely uncomfortable in your own skin. Uh, And I think you can't weigh that heavy enough. Like it is, I'm not even going to pretend to understand what that's like. And, and sometimes some of the comparisons and maybe even some, some of you would say some of the things I've said today, some of the comparisons that we draw are insensitive because it's, it conveys a, a deep misunderstanding of the weight of that. Like I said, feeling so uncomfortable in your own sin in, in your own skin. Um, I would just, I would say the same thing to them that I would say to any other person dealing with any other sin and just say that what we most often find in life, we're always presented with a couple of choices. Our, you know, we look down the road and we see our own, what looks like our own best path for happiness. And then we're presented with God's choice for our greatest good and our greatest happiness and sometimes that choice doesn't feel nearly as good as the one that we want. But what I have know and what most of you could probably say that you know is that when I have humbled myself and submitted myself to God and his wisdom, that his path for my greatest good, my greatest happiness has always, always, always 
outweighed what I thought was best for myself. And so I would just encourage, you know, like, yes, you're not feeling it. Yes. What, and, and, and I'm not talking about de-gaying people. I'm not talking that none of that. Again, that's, uh, we'll leave all of that mysterious world up to the Holy spirit. I'm just talking about pointing people to God's best for them. And, and when we submit to that, even against what necessarily, like I said, it may, it may, it may feel unnatural. It may feel like I don't see how this is going to be the best thing for me. Um, when we submit to that, God is faithful. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not an easy answer and it's not, by the way, this is what, this is the joy of being a living hoper that we often get entrenched in people's lives who are dealing with very hard things. And there are no quick, easy answers to walking with people through, uh, through their, conversions and through their sins and through, you know, through all of that, it takes time and it takes effort and you have to genuinely love people to walk the distance with them through that. There's no, you know, read this book and it'll be all better. Uh, even the Bible, by the way, um, there, I mean, the Bible's not the secret, you know, answer to all of life's problems that, I mean, in terms of it'll just magically fix everything immediately. That if we spend a lifetime submitting ourselves to the wisdom of God's word and to the, what he's called us to do, uh, we will find the answers in that. But it's not a quick self-help book. And if you're using it as that, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Um, so anyway. All right. When you're on the fence in making big decisions, what's the best way to get your head out of the way and hear God? Go ahead, you guys. Again? When you're having trouble making big decisions, how, what's the best way to kind of get yourself out of the way and really truly hear what God wants you to do in that big decision? Well, first thing, you've got to get in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Until you're in the Spirit, it's going to be a big cloudy mess. You know, that's the reason why we get confused is because, let's be honest, we're torn. We have our sinful nature. We have God. And... If you can get in that spirit, for me, I do it through music. I get in that in that place where everything becomes very clear to me. Um, I pray. I ask God, you know, what do you want me to do here? Instead of talking all the time, I don't know if you guys ever have this this thing. I do a lot of talking when I talk to God. I don't do a lot of listening. So I make sure I take some time whenever I have a question just to wait and and listen. I think for me, it's important to remember that um, God gives us a lot of freedom. God gives us free will, and every single move and every single choice is not dictated by Him that you're going to turn left here and you're like we have freedom in our lives to make decisions. And I can think of some pretty specific times in my life where God would open a door, close a door, very clearly direct me. And that happened most often when I was um, with James, when I prayed about it. And I mean, there are times that I'm just praying and I'm praying and I'm listening and listening. And I'll get a phone call from somebody that kind of confirms, oh yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. Or no, that's definitely not what you should do. Or you happen upon a piece of information, a piece of godly wisdom from, you know, someone that you trust and someone who trusts Jesus. And that'll kind of guide you. God uses us in each other's lives. Um... But again, I would also say that if you feel like, gosh, I'm not hearing anything, I'm not hearing anything, 
keep praying, keep listening, but also know that you, sometimes you just have a choice. Sometimes you get to pick. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And the clearest way to know is uh, know your Bible. Mm-hmm. If you don't know your Bible, learn it. Because I've, I've met people that are praying to God for answers when it seemed very obvious to me because it says in Scripture what to do. But they don't know that, and so they're struggling. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So here, here's the thing about the will of God. Uh, I think it was Chuck Swindoll once said that you can only know the will of God in hindsight in a, in a book that he wrote called The Will of God. Um, and so uh, you can only know the will of God. I think there are uh, just a small handfuls of exceptions to that. Uh, but I think he's on to something in, in stating that, that sometimes, you know, when we're, if we're looking for the will of God, which direction should I go? Who should I marry? What, where should I go to school? What should my career be? Where should I live? You know, whatever. How should I school my kids or discipline my kids or, or, or you know, so if, if you're looking for like will of God type answers and those kind of life choices, then uh, most often I look at it this way. Like if I want to get to Walmart from here, like the quickest way I can go from here is to hop on the freeway and then hop back off the freeway. That'll get me there fastest, right? Or I could go all the way down A Street to downtown and all the way up First Street, and it'll take me like three times as long to get there, right? But it got me to the same destination. And I think sometimes life choices are, are that way. There's, there's, again, kind of God's best that will get you to where he wants to get you quicker but sometimes he, like Jesse said, sometimes he allows you to make those choices for yourself and you can still get there, but you might run out of gas on the way there a couple times or, you know, whatever. So, so it's, it's, it's going to be kind of tricky. Uh, the real question is, is, you know, and this, we're going to deal with this a lot in that series coming up in, in the summer uh, of really, how do I hear from God? How do I, how can I tell that God is speaking to me? Romans uh, chapter 12 uh, in the beginning says this, says, I I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I had a professor in college who used to say that the problem with living sacrifices is that they're constantly jumping out of the fire, and uh, which is true. So so, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That, and here's the good part, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, uh, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if you really want to be able to put yourself, position yourself in such a way that more often than not, you can hear and tell what God's will is for your life, that involves constant submission to him, constantly telling him, change me however you need to change me transform me however you need to transform me. Um, I, I, I won't always just listen to the way the world is going. I'm going to stay laser focused on you. Constantly submitting, you know, as Paul said, I die daily. I put myself aside and I embrace what Christ has for me. And, and if you get in a regular habit of that and start living this life of total submission to God, then more often than not, you'll actually be able to hear and distinguish his voice from just the voice, random voices in your head, right? And so um, submission is a, is a big deal, big deal. All right, last question. Um, this comes from a, a young man in the room who says just simply this, how do we know Jesus is real? So let's just do this. Let's go down the line here and eat for, you answer that for you. How, James, how do you know Jesus is real? All right. Um, for me, Jesus is real. Because he has proven his word to be true over and over in my life. Over and over in my life, I have thought, 
you know, that I'm a pretty smart guy and I can make my own decisions and that Bible was written a long time ago and I'm so smart. And then over and over and over, Jesus proven himself a lot smarter than me. And th- this kind of wisdom that's qu- quite different than secular wisdom is something that, you know, makes it real for me. That and the fact that uh, uh, what Jesus did and so many people believe and so many people have written it down and so many people have testified and so many people have are willing to die for something I just can't believe it's a lie. So that is how I I come to believe in Jesus. Mm. That's good. Uh, I was actually just listening to an Andy Stanley sermon on this particular issue because I love it so much. And so when Jesus died and was resurrected, word about his resurrection spread like wildfire and even in the face of persecution, even in the face of people being martyred left and right, the church just grew exponentially for hundreds of years. And that's without a Bible. That's without, without anything but the word of people who believed. And so you can do a little more research into this. Um, but basically, based on, based on the fact that there isn't in Scripture an account of the fall of Rome in 70 AD and here, you know, all the historical <laughs> bits and pieces that people who try and say, oh, no, the Bible doesn't make sense. People just made this up hundreds of years later because the, cause the legend of Jesus had grown. And, and, but it doesn't make any sense. The thing that would historically make sense is that Jesus actually was who he said he was and actually did what he said he did. Because why else would hundreds of people be persecuted and die and continue sharing their faith? Sorry if that's super morbid. Like, what else would you die for except something that you believed so strongly in and felt so secure in your friend that died and then you were with him again? That nothing else makes sense. That if it's just a legend, it doesn't make sense that that religion would have lasted 2,000 years and, you know, be one of the most dominant world religions ever in the history of mankind. And that's not, that's not, you know, poo-pooing what James said about the personal in my heart, in my life, spiritual experiences and the way that God grows and shapes and molds me and the people in my life. And that's all, that's all very real and good. But if we're going back to a, like, why do I fundamentally believe this? It's because it's the most logical conclusion and... I have to, you know, sit on the weight of, of generations before me that, that thought this was true too. Mm, that's good. Uh, I, let me add to that and just say I, I had an answer in my head, and then I thought that's, that's not exactly accurate. So I'm going to give you the accurate version. I, I believe Jesus is real because my mom and dad told me he was. Yes. <laughs> and, and then once I grew and became older, I tested it for myself and found it to be true. Um, and so I can't emphasize to you enough, parents, the importance of raising your children up to know Christ. And, and then also, they will reach a point when they doubt, when they question their faith, when they question everything. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Let them doubt. In fact, encourage them to doubt. Those are good questions. Go find the answers, what, whatever. You know, if you don't want to hear the answers from me because you don't trust me, you think I'm, you know, uh, you, you know whatever, then find somebody else. Research it for yourself. 
I believe Jesus now because um, there are mountains of evidence and because I've got mountains of evidence in my heart and the way that he has worked in my own life. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of faith. Like I said last week, nobody debates the historical Jesus. Well, actually they do, but uh, never mind. I don't want to get into that. There's, nobody debates that Jesus existed in history. Um, where the debate comes in is, do you believe that Jesus is God? And that's where faith happens. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's true. That's such a great story. Thank you for sharing that. So this this is the reason I I wanted to go down the line like this is because um, everyone comes to faith in different ways. Everyone comes to faith in different ways. Um, C.S. Lewis was a devout atheist until one day he's taking a little motorcycle ride through the countryside in England and just had this overwhelming sense that there's got to be a God behind all this. I have a good friend who, uh, when she was 12 years old, riding in the back seat of mom and dad's car with her arm out the window, you know, rested on the door out the window and just looked over and saw the wind blowing through the hairs on her arm and goes, and just suddenly was like, there's a God. I, I was telling Phil the other day that I have another friend uh, who uh, years and years, he's an older guy, uh, Thurl Billups. And, uh, and uh, anyway, years and years ago, he did not believe, did not go to church, but his wife and, and daughters went to church. And, uh, and, and so the church reached a point to where it was go- they were in some financial distress and the doors of the church were going to shut down unless they got so much money in to pay their mortgage or whatever it was. And so she went home to her unbelieving husband and said, um, the doors of the, of the church are going to have to shut. Do, do you mind if we give something to help out? And he said, in that moment, I just had this overwhelming sense that if that church shut down, it would not be good for our world. And he became a believer in that moment from his wife asking him to give money to the church. Uh, and it was as a, as a deacon in that church, you know, to this day. And so, like, everybody has, the Holy Spirit works in everybody in all kinds of different ways. Nobody's story is quite the same. And so, you know, to, to the young man who asked that question, how do we know Jesus is real? I can tell you how I know he is real, but your story is going to be different than mine. And so just walk in that story, embrace that story. So, all right. Thank you guys so much. I wanted to, uh, you know, I, I invited James, uh, who's kind of a lay pastor at our church, and Jesse, uh, you know, who's, who's uh, uh, administrative staff, that sort of thing. I, I, I wanted them to be up here because of what I wanted you to get from this is that uh, you don't have to get your answer from pastors. You don't have to get your answers. Like, like anybody who's walking in the spirit and who's, who's familiar with the word of God can point you to right answers. And that can be you. That can be you if you're doing that as well. So um, I, I, great questions today. Can't believe we got through them all. Let's dismiss in a word of prayer and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll uh, carry on with our week. Father, we love you so much. And we thank you for uh, your good word and the way that it gives us a, uh, a blueprint 
for our lives, and that in that word and in the, the obedience of that word, we do find our greatest joy. And so, God, every single one of us could confess that there are times when that statement just doesn't ring true in our heart. Our heart wa- wants what our heart wants, and, and uh, it's hard to kind of walk in obedience to your word. And so, God, help us to live in constant submission to you. Help us to get ourselves out of the way and just simply allow you to reign supreme in our life and trust you, trust you for our greatest joy. We love you so much. We thank you for uh, the wisdom that comes from your word. I thank you so much for James and Jesse and what they mean to our church family and pray that you would just continue to uh, bless their lives and their work. Uh, We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.